G'day and welcome to the podcast of Outpost Church in McLaren Vale. We hope you find this encouraging. I want to invite my kids to come up one at a time. And I've got a couple of um, slides, couple, one of my favourite ever photos. Um, no, no, it was the square. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> how beautiful are my children? Who has seen that photo before? Um, who can tell everyone what that photo is of? Dave? <laughs> so this is the moment they discovered that Eden was going to be born. And I think they're happy. Like, I think those facial expressions would indicate that they were excited that they were going to have a little baby brother or sister they didn't know at that point. Um, but it was a big surprise and lots of fun. And we had a fun uh, fun time revealing to them what was, what was going on. And that was the fourth and final present um, right there. But I just want to take a, a minute just to introduce you to my kids. And I know that um, there's a fair bit of variation here uh, in terms of how well you know them, but I've got some things I want you to know about my kids. I'm going to start with Esther. Can we make her feel really welcome as she comes up? (laughs) So Esther is stunningly beautiful, as you can see, and she's our firstborn. When she was a toddler, she was so aware of what was going on. Um, And one time that was really evident uh, was when we were in the car and there was a convoy happening. And there was another car that came between us and the car that we were following. And Esther, at two or three years old, was anxious because we couldn't see the person that we were following. And it actually happened in reverse where someone was following us. Um, I guess the car seat was smaller that we were using back then. Um, But she was able to turn around and see uh, that another car had come between us and the person that was following us. And there was anxiety. She's a born leader. Um, she actually smashed it today. Unfortunately, her team went down significantly and I wasn't there to witness it, but she was easily the best player in her team. She, um, last night, she just reaffirmed her desire to play AFLW um, and she's going to get there. Um, and on one level, like, I don't care whether she makes it or not. Like, I am so proud of my daughter, Esther. And I love you to bits, but on another level, you're going to get there, and you're going to smash it, and you're going to be amazing. And I, I want you to know that you get to chase this dream for joy. You don't need to prove yourself. You just get to enjoy the process and enjoy getting better and better at your footy. Um, I love you doing that. She's a ripper big sister. She absolutely loves her little siblings, uh, and she is a fantastic big sister. Can you make her feel very, very special? as she goes and takes a seat. And now, Charlotte. So Charlotte is our second born. Um, Charlotte is fearless. So when everyone else is figuring out, am I going to jump from this jetty? She's like jumping from the railing into the ocean. Uh, She's also very sensitive, and we often get feedback just about how polite she is uh, and how aware she is of other people 
um, and wanting to make them feel comfortable, make them feel welcome. Um, and she is an absolute delight. I had the privilege of, of teaching Charlotte two days a week back when she was in year five. Um, and she was an absolute delight in the classroom. Um, she takes life uh, seriously. She's a sensitive soul, uh, but also knows how to have fun, how to love people. Um, and is also actually quite resilient and able to put up with a lot. Um, and yeah, she's just had a bone spur removed from her left femur. And she's healing up really well. It was a bit of a rough time, but she's um, doing well. And she's going to go a long way in life. I love you, Charlotte. Take a seat. And now Hudson. Hudson's hilarious. He makes us laugh more than anybody else. And no one laughs harder at Hudson than his mum. So Christy just delights in Hudson's sense of humour. Um, I actually, the same year I taught Charlotte two days a week, I taught Hudson one day a week when he was in year three. Um, and he's not a class clown. He has the capacity, like he would get the whole class laughing, but he knows what's appropriate um, and does really well at school. And most of the time he knows when to, you know, deliver and when to hold back. Um, but yeah, like I said, absolutely hilarious. He's just switched on. Um, very sharp intellect. Uh, he is funny, witty, just that quick sense of humor. Uh, he's been an amazing big brother and taken great care of, of Zip and more recently of Eden. And he's an absolute delight and I'm so proud of him. Hudson, I love you. And now Zephora. So Zephora could do more chin-ups than any of my other children. She, I think seven, you know, and you know, to a dead arm hang, uh, get up for, for seven chin-ups. She is powerful uh, and she's fierce. And right throughout her life, um, she has been a passionate person who feels things deeply uh, and is sensitive. Uh, she is someone who helps. She loves to help other people. And sometimes she'll tell us that she's done something to help out, but other times she leaves it as a surprise and we just find out that she's done something sacrificial and she's, she's served. And she's an excellent big sister. Just today she was playing so well with Eden, looking after her needs making sure that she was all good. And I love you so much, Sephora. You can take a seat. And Eden, I should have done this with all of them. This is our beautiful girl, Eden. She is so clever. And there are times that we forget how clever she is and we're talking about other things and she'll just join in the conversation. She is so articulate. And she is so strong and fast, and she's been such a delight to our family. And what a privilege to have her as a gift, um, a wonderful surprise to all of us, and an absolute delight. And we love you so much, Eden. You are precious, you are beautiful, and you're as. She just turned three. How, how old are you, Eden? <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's my kids if you can just go back to that other one again um, aren't they just amazing the next photo uh, is just one of Eden and I got her pose for that photo and it was on Thursday and I had just rinsed her hair and I was just amazed at how peaceful she looked as I washed the shampoo out of her hair her eyes closed and, yeah, not even a 
hint of fear. Um, and that hasn't always been the case. So five kids in, I've learned that the direction to look up at the ceiling is not clear enough for kids when it comes to, you know, rinsing the shampoo out of their hair. Because it's like, look up at the ceiling and close your eyes. And it's like, uh, look up and close my eyes. Like, what do you want me to do, Dad? If I'm looking up, my eyes are open. Um, anyhow, there have been many tears in our household over this thing of uh, washing hair. And it was just this moment with Eden. And I was like, oh, I want to get a photo. Eden, do it again. <laughs> close your eyes. I'm going to put some more water uh, over you. But it's almost as good in that photo as what it was the first time around. And just that sense of bliss. It reminded me of, of Hudson. Hudson, as a little toddler um, and coming out of toddler years, just delighted in having sunscreen applied to his face. It was just the best. Just like close his eyes and just like give me the good stuff, give me that massage. Oh, I loved it. He loved it. It was just fantastic. Just blissing out at sunscreen being rubbed into his face. But there's different moments in the life of a toddler that can evoke anxiety. And I've just mentioned too, like sunscreen in the eyes is a problem. Um, shampoo in the eyes is a problem. We had another problem, which was about a, a 10-week trial uh, in our household fairly recently. And it started just a bit before Christmas. Um, and the result of this and what happened multiple times uh, every day, it seemed, for 10 weeks was that Eden would say, don't give me square hole. And what had happened was Hudson um, or some person in our family that remained nameless uh, was buckling up Eden and had managed to pinch the skin. So in the car seat, pinch the skin. Um, so she's reacted appropriately to that pain. Um, and then he's unbuckled her and then, you know, rebuckled her up and it was, it was okay. But she gets home and she lifts her shirt up and... I'm pretty sure it was a red rectangle, but she decided it was a square hole that she had on her belly from the compression and the pinching of said buckle. Um, and so from that point, any mention of the car, don't give me square hole, any time we're walking towards the car, don't give me square hole, and usually repeated a number of times, any time that we were getting into the car, don't give me square hole, any time that she was getting into the seat, don't give me square hole, any time they're actually buckling her up, don't give me square hole, and even this sort of just, we'd buckled her up, hadn't give her square, given her square hole, but there was still that thing of don't give me square hole, even as a buckled up, secure uh, two-year-old at the time. Um, don't give me square hole was a very well-known <laughs> phrase in our household. But it's been about four weeks where she hasn't said that. And it's been so nice. Hallelujah. Breakthrough. But how good when our kids just trust us. How good when we're worthy of that trust, eh? But how good when they just trust us. And there's something we want to do for them that is for their benefit, and they just let us do it. Because it is really hard with a child who is anxious to rinse their hair and not end up with some shampoo in their eyes. Like the more they're reacting, the harder it is to actually do the thing that you're wanting to do. That if they were just calm and still, you would be able to do so effectively. We, my friends, are called to have faith like a child. 
I just gave you a few things about my own kids. I love them. I absolutely love them. Yet we were down the beach just before, um, and, you know, I was wading in, and I was sort of about knee deep, and Eden was already well and truly completely saturated. Um, and then she wanted a cuddle. And I was not the most loving of fathers in that moment, as I was sort of eventually picked her up and kind of like awkwardly, you know, holding her, because I didn't want to embrace her because of my own issues. <laughs> But we are called to be like a toddler with their child. There's this interesting passage that Christie's reflected on a few times. Eh? Like a weaned child with her mother. So why a weaned child? Because there's this beautiful relationship, you know, that the breastfeeding process is an amazing thing. But as anyone who has breastfed or has spent enough time with someone that has breastfed knows, there is an intensity with a child who's expecting to be breastfed. <laughs> There's an intensity there and even a desperation of like, I need this. But a child who is weaned, a child who is just with their mom without seeking to get that, is so much more content and peaceful. And we are called to be like that with God our Father. That there would be that same level of just delight and ease with him. I want to read a verse from John chapter 15. We're going to read uh, the whole lot, but I want to start with verse 9. As the Father has loved me, says Jesus, I have also loved you. I said some things about my kids as an imperfect father who's got a long way to go. What did the Father say over Jesus? This is my son, whom I love with whom I am well pleased. He could have elaborated so much more. I've known this guy for ages. He's very consistent, never changes. There's lots of things that the father could have said about the son. And he loves him to bits. And Jesus is declaring that as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. This is my hope for myself and for each one of us, I feel like I had a picture of it this morning, a few times this morning, a picture of his love for me. We, I certainly don't doubt the father's love for the son, but it's easy to doubt his love for me. But as the father has loved Jesus, so Jesus has loved us. It is on the same level. That is a ridiculous concept. We are that loved. This is one of the most contested things in the world, is the love of a father. There is a father wound, it seems, in pretty much everyone. And even within the same family, like for, for many people, they have a different experience from their siblings with the same dad. Because it's a two-way street. It needs to be a, a father who is free enough from himself to love the child and it needs to be a child who's able to receive that love. And because there's a lack in both of those things, there are so many father wounds. And I want to suggest there's father wounds amongst us that are here today. And I want to suggest that we are constantly interacting with people that have father wounds. 
So, Father, we ask that you would open the eyes of our heart, that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, of the Lord Jesus, that we would come to understand that the same love that you, Father, have for the Son, you have for us and Jesus has for us, that we are loved by our Father, that there is nothing that we can do that can separate us from your love, neither height nor depth, neither, neither the, the past or the present, neither angels nor demons, life, death, none of that can separate us from the love of God that comes to us through Jesus Christ. You are a good, good Father. And Lord, would you hit us tonight with the reality of your love Would we see you clearly and see more clearly how you see us? Hallelujah and amen. Riley, would you mind bringing my backpack out here? I've got a cassette tape. Anyone know what a cassette tape is? (laughs) And it was one of those um, sort of exercises a while ago um, in in a course I was doing. And we had to write on one side um, something that has just been going around and around in our head. So something that's been a a lie that that we've believed. Um, And then on the other side, to put our identity and put something significant about who we really are. And I wrote the words, fathered, father. And... um, could have brought Christy out the front as well and talked about her. I remember, so Dave came and spoke at an Easter camp that we did uh, when we were at Seeds. It was 2015. Um, and he called out something really significant in Christy. And I love my mother-in-law. She is an amazing woman. Um, and I mean no disrespect for her and she would be fine in, in me sharing this. Um, but she's um, found it really hard to express her love at different times in her life. And Christy didn't feel loved by her mum, didn't have that experience um, of being mothered in that sense growing up. And and her general experience of uh, mature Christian women um, who she would seek to mentor her was that they were too busy um, like amazing women get snapped up and they get given jobs and more and more responsibility. Um, and she just found that she wasn't mothered. And that was her consistent experience was just not being mothered. And Dave just called it out beautifully um, that she is a mother. Like she obviously is a mother to her five children, but she is a mother to others as well. Um, and one thing that's been consistent for her is that she wants to have that flexibility and freedom of time um, and consistently have that through her life so that she can invest in people when they need it. Uh, when people have babies um, and have, have some time to have flexibility and to be there for them and when there's other needs. Um, yeah, she is a mothered mother. But her mothering has come from the ultimate mother. And I don't want to get into the whole thing of like mother God and whatever else, but 
you know, we have Father God. He's only described as, you know, Father and stuff in the Scriptures, so we're just going to stick with that. But He mothers better than anybody ever has. And He has given Christy what she needs. And she has uh, experienced a, a filling up of gaps uh, because of His great love for her. Um, and I have a call to be a fathered father. And it is only as I am fathered that I can father. It is only as someone who is loved that I can actually love. And this role of father, like I want to, to help um, in spaces where people just haven't had that. Uh, it was actually what drew me to teaching initially. I was in a, um, yeah, it was just an experience of being in country schools and just seeing the, uh, the lack of male teachers and I felt that call um, into the classroom, into teaching to be um, a role model for, for the kids. And the language I would now use is a fathered father. Um, and yeah, for, for us, as we know our identity, it just frees us up to love others. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. We are going to work our way through, um, that sounds laborious, it's going to be fun. We get to look through John chapter 15 together. You excited, Belle? Yeah, I see those eyebrows. It's good. <laughs> I am the true vine, says Jesus. This is the seventh time that we have in John's gospel where Jesus says, I am so, chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Uh, chapter 10, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. So, you get double for your money. Uh, in chapter 10, chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, chapter 14, we have I am the way, the truth and the life. I may have missed one. I haven't been keeping track. Um, but here we have something unique. This is the only time where not only does he say who he is and some, reveals something about himself. So he's all those things at the same time, but each one gives us a window, gives us a picture into who he is and what he does. But this time he tells us about the Father as well. I am the true vine. That true is really, really important because there's a whole bunch of things that we can look to as a source but it is only Jesus that is the true vine. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. I reckon he's also the sun, like shining. And I reckon he's the roots, and I reckon he's the soil. He's a lot of things. Uh, he doesn't mention all those other things. He just mentions that he's the gardener who has a unique perspective, like Riley does um, in his horticultural work. He has a unique perspective over what he's doing, and he's like, what's the best thing for this vine? I got to do it for a couple of years to uh, train grapevine. I actually had um, business cards made up. Shane Rayner, Grapevine Development Officer. No one ever gave me that title. I took it upon myself, Grapevine Development Officer, and had business cards made up just for fun. Um, but it, it was so fun. But... Uh, the Father has a perspective over us. We find out later on that we are the branches, right? He has this perspective. He knows what is best for the vine, the entirety of the vine. That picture that we saw where Eden, little tiny Eden amongst her four big siblings that are all heading off to the different schools, or three different schools, 
and she's in the mix. One thing that's beautiful about Eden is that she doesn't doubt that she's loved. You know, there's no, like, anxiety of, like, oh, I don't know if mum really loves me. Um, If she says something and no one responds as she wants them to respond, she'll just say it again um, and again, um, and then she'll get the response. Like, she doesn't doubt it. Right? She knows that she's loved. How powerful it is to know that you are loved. When we know who we are, when we have that security because he loves us and we're confident in that, we're free to actually love others. I am the true vine, says Jesus, and my father is the gardener. Verse 2 is intense. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And, every, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Someone once said, you're pruned if you do, and you're pruned if you don't. Either way, there's snips that are coming, um, and it's a pretty nasty one. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. We're going to look at what Jesus wanted them to know and what he wanted them to do. Really important things, and I believe it's the same for us. What he wants us to know and what he wants us to do. And right when they could feel a bit of insecurity, he hits them with verse 3. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. That word clean, it could be pruned. You are already pruned because of the word I have spoken to you. You're already clean. He actually said it back in chapter 13 as well. You are already clean in the context of washing Peter's or all of their feet. You are already clean. Wow. Lachlan, you are already clean. Why? Because you're such a good lad. Because of the word he has spoken to you. It's his word that cleanses you. James puts it this way. Humbly accept the word planted in you which can save your souls. Humbly accept, humbly receive the word planted in you. It's what saves you, it's what cleanses you. He has already cleansed you. He has already cleansed his disciples. There's a warning in there, but they've followed him. They're in a position to learn from him. They're listening to him, they're watching him, so they're already clean. Don't even doubt that. If you're listening to him, watching him, already clean. But, verse 4, remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. And yes, there's a thing called propagation, and yes, you can remove a branch, and then suddenly it can become a new vine. We don't want to be our own vine. We have the true vine. We have the ultimate vine. We cannot, as a branch, produce fruit. We need roots. A Christmas tree, this is a really random segue. When that square hole happened, my family were collecting a Christmas tree from the Christmas tree farm. We had one in our living room this past year. It did not grow any pine cones. Not a single one. We had to decorate it. It didn't decorate itself. Unbelievable. A Christmas tree in your living room needs you to decorate it. 
because it has no life in it to produce anything of itself. We are the branches. He is the vine. I've skipped ahead because that comes in a little bit, but I think you're with me. We are the branches. We are not to try and accumulate stuff. And it, it can be the physical stuff, like whatever the thing is that you're like, oh, it'd be great to have this. Whether it's an attribute to your personality, whether it's a skill, whether it's a physical thing, we are not to decorate ourselves like a Christmas tree. We are to abide in the vine. You are the branches. He is the vine. And we remain in him and we produce fruit. And it is the best decoration. It's what was designed. I had the most amazing run this morning. Let me tell you my stats. No, I'm sorry. I'll do that later. Um, but it was just the most picturesque morning. And just running through, and it was beautiful, like tiniest little bit of breeze. Um, but I was running towards the sunrise before the sun was rising. And as in before the sun had actually come over the horizon. Uh, and it was just breathtaking. And just seeing... Like, God's just showing off, you know, like, we get to live here in McLaren Vale. Um, and there is his beautiful creation on display and just able to enjoy and appreciate that. And he knows what he's doing in what we often call nature. He knows what he's doing in us. You know, in, in Peter, like, it's not braided hair. It's not pearls that you are to adorn yourself with, but it is this godly life. That's our directive. That's what we are to adorn ourselves with, is what he has created us for. That's the most attractive thing. And if we know who we are and we're confident in that, um, it draws people to us. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It has to remain on the vine. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. What was the first instruction that God gave to humanity? First two words in English. Be fruitful. Be fruitful. It's been there from the beginning. We are born to reproduce, born to bear fruit. And I think in this case, and general consensus um, is that this is talking about the fruit of the Spirit. It's talking about our Christ-likeness more than it is about talking about multiplication of um, converts or whatever else. Uh, we will see more people come to know Jesus as we demonstrate more of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, but it's not like the fruit of the Spirit. This is a beautiful passage for addressing this. Um, often we can see that as a checklist. I need to grow in my love. I need to grow in my joy and in my peace. But he's giving these instructions. And then he says to them, in verse 11, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Sounds like one of the fruit of the Spirit to me. He's not telling us these things so we can feel guilty when we don't do them. He's telling us these things because it's the best thing we could ever do. I tell you this so that my joy may be in you. His joy 
actually enabled him to endure the cross, scorning its shame. That's one heck of a joy. We are going to suffer. There are going to be trials and tribulations, but we're also going to bear fruit. And he's gone there before us. He suffered worse than we have, and he goes there with us as we suffer. And he's also overcome the world. Let's go to that verse, end of chapter 16. Last verse of chapter 16, verse 33. I have told you these things. Same phrase. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. Then it says, you will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I've conquered the world. We wouldn't need peace if everything was easy. We need peace because there's challenge and we get to actually see conquering of those challenges. Like we get to do that together as the branches together. Like we get to overcome. Like chapter five of um, first john has stuff that if you just said it you just sound arrogant um like what has overcome the world my faith <laughs> that's what's overcome the world my faith it's in the bible like we are to overcome stuff and our faith does something and he's just told us that he's telling us these things so that his joy would be in us in him we would have peace what are we missing? The first one, love. Oh no, what are we going to do? I guess we'll have to look in verse 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. We get to abide in his love, to remain in his love. Both of those words are helpful. Um, abide is obviously where you live like it's not just a place you visit from time to time like his love to abide in his love that is where I dwell surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever we dwell in his love how good is it to dwell in his love. But the beauty of the word remain, which we have in the CSB and the NIV and other translations use the word remain, you can't remain somewhere unless you're already there. He's not saying you've got to go and achieve this and start doing that. They were already there listening to him. Remain in me. You're already in me. That's your location like this whole thing of being in Christ I think it's a really helpful thing for our understanding of our reality it's like understanding that Christ is seated at the right hand of the father he's in the heavenlies if we're in Christ we're where he is as with Christ so with us like to understand these things it's because of him He's the plane, we just, aren't, we just boarded the right plane. And then we get to be in that destination all because of what he has done in him. Like love, joy, peace, they're gifts from him and we get to receive. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's how they work. And we get to choose in any given moment, do I operate out of the fruit of the Spirit, 
who the Spirit is or do I operate out of what I feel like? Sometimes they marry up and it's a beautiful thing, but a lot of the time they don't. And we're choosing to operate out of the fruit of the Spirit. And that's sanctification. Us acting out and living out the reality of our faith and who we are in Christ. just want to back it up. I didn't actually read a couple of verses. Verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and I'll think about it. Ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. There's actually two times in chapter 14 where he says basically the identical thing. He says it twice in this chapter. He says it twice in chapter 16. I don't think this was a slip of the tongue. I don't think he intended to have an asterisk after whenever it was read. There is an if, though. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. It's not us doing it. And it is asking, interesting. But whatever we want, it's mind-blowing. He will give us what we want. And of course... The more time we spend with him, the more we abide in him, remain in him. (laughs) What we want is what he wants. So, of course, that's going to happen. Of course. But we actually want it. It's not like a lesser thing. And he's telling us this so that his joy would be in us and our joy would be complete. It's not like a lesser thing. It's like, actually, what I want now is better than what I want when I'm more like Jesus. I don't know if you ever thought that way or if it was just me that one time all those years ago. Sometimes we think that it's a lesser thing. It is the ultimate thing. And he's actually inviting us into Christ-likeness. We get to be like Jesus. And it is game-changing. My Father is glorified by this. It is all for the glory of God that more people would know how amazing He is. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. It's not because we need to prove ourselves. He does the proving because He produces the fruit. We are just the branch. It's like we are just the conduit. Got the roots got the sap, all these other factors, and we just are in the right spot. And so the fruit is produced and others benefit from it. Fruit is for the benefit of others, for their enjoyment, for their sustenance. And we get to bless others with that kind of fruit. Like how good is it when someone responds to your impatience with patience? How good is it when someone responds to you in love? It is a gift when someone has true peace and abiding joy. It is a gift to everyone around them. And we get to do exactly that. 
verse 12. This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. If we jump down to verse 14, Jesus sounds manipulative. You are my friends if I do what I command you. You are my friends if. As long as you do what I say, you can be my friends. Context is really helpful, hey? Like verse 13, greater love has no one than this. They lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends that I lay my life down for if you do what I command. What does he command? That we just worship him all the time? You could argue yes. But what does it say explicitly in this passage? What is the command? Yep, specifically. There's, there's something more specific than that. Love one another. So he says it in verse 12. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17. This is what I command you. Love one another. Like that's explicit. This is my command. He says it twice. One time he adds what he'd said and recorded back in chapter 13. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. The old command, love God and love others. New command, because where does that come from? Where does that love come from? It doesn't specify where that love comes from. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul and your strength. Sounds like it's coming from you though, doesn't it? And love your neighbor as yourself. Whereas a new command Jesus gives us to love your neighbor, not as yourself anymore, as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Because yes, we do respond to our own needs and that is definitely love. Like as defined in the Bible, like it's just taking care of somebody. But the way that he has loved us is so much bigger, so much better. And we are to love others in that way. But it's not this thing of like pressure of you have to meet that criteria and love others in that way in and of yourself it's just the overflow of what happens when we know that we are loved if you if you think back you probably know the um that moment so there's this woman who comes in um and she has just been ridiculed and shamed i would assume her whole life um, and there's every chance that she comes in to see jesus that there's men in that room that have used and abused her and she's going to get ridiculed again and she knows that and she gives a costly sacrifice to Jesus. She humiliates herself again and Jesus says about her, the one who is forgiven much, loves much. It's the overflow of understanding that we are forgiven. The overflow of understanding that we are deeply, fiercely, consistently loved that will cause us to respond by loving others. As you know that you are loved and you get a window on God's heart for you and then you look at someone else and appreciate that God has that same heart for them, it is the natural outworking of His love working in you and through you to love them. 
But there will still be a choice that we make. There will be times we're just not feeling it. And so it is an act of the will. It is a choice. I choose to love. My lame example of picking up Eden. <laughs> so courageous to pick her up when she was wet. Well done, Shane. But it's, it's simple. Often it's those tiny little things. And it's just a decision. And we're like, I am going to do what I know I need to do because I'm trusting him to give me what I need to do it. You possibly have heard the, the story of, um, of Corrie ten Boom, a ridiculous thing that she suffered. Um, so she spent a year um, in a concentration camp. Uh, she was um, in the Netherlands and they were hiding the Jews. She and her family ended up in the, in the concentration camp. I think it was her dad uh, who died in the camp um, and yeah, suffered horribly. Um, she ended up uh, speaking in a number of different places and she was speaking at one church. And there was a guard that came up to her after the service. And she recognized him straight away. Like he had humiliated her. Like he had just been awful and horrible. And she wanted to just strangle him, punch him, something. Like all this rage just starts rising up in her. And he's like, oh, you wouldn't know who I am, but I was a guard, blah, blah, blah. And I just want to say I'm sorry. And holds out his hand. Last thing she wants to do is to shake his hand and offer forgiveness to this man that abused her, humiliated her. But she did it. Didn't feel like doing it, but she reached out her hand and she describes the most remarkable feeling. It was as though God's love, his liquid love, just passed down her arm as she took his hand and she experienced God's love for him as she took a step of faith and did what she knew she ought to do, even though she didn't want to do it. He will empower us. He will give us what we need in order to love others as he has loved us and continues to love us. And we just, we are going to get pruned. There are going to be things that happen, but we need to be that trusting toddler, the trusting toddler who is willing to have him prune us not kicking and squirming you know that relational thing that comes up that job thing that comes up that financial thing that comes up to trust him it's not saying we don't talk to him about it we don't ask for a different outcome but it's that there is a sense of faith that he knows what we need and that he will give us what we need simple one for me is just in the area of finances when i see something um i first did it a number of years ago uh, kids were at a private school and i got the um the termly bill opened up and the whole time i'm just like dreading it looking at it like every i knew what it was going to say but i still i opened it up and i'm just like oh man so much money and we don't have that much money and blah 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 blah, blah. um and then i was like what am i doing and I put it back in the envelope and I got up and I walked out of the room and I walked in the room and I was like, oh, an envelope. Interesting. I wonder what's in here. God, thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you've been faithful to my family in the past. You're going to be faithful to us again. Thank you that there is money to be paid, but that you will give us what we need. Let's take a mulligan. Like, let's just do it again. Like, if we don't get it right, and some situations probably won't work to do this, uh, but plenty will. 
where we're like, I am learning to do this. Um, I, you know, last week we're looking at the last half of um, Philippians chapter 4, and Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. I can honestly say, I am learning the secret of being content in every in any and every circumstance. I can't honestly say I have learned it yet, but I am learning it and taking one step at a time in order to um, see that become a reality. I want us to be fathered. I want us to be a people who know that we are loved and have the confidence of Eden. She doesn't doubt it. Doesn't enter her mind that we would reject her or whatever. It's just like, of course. You know? She's not like grabbing us by the chin, just like, look at my eyes. I need you to know something. Like she's like she doesn't care in that sense. It's, it's, it, she just knows it. She has a confidence in it. We need to have the faith of a child because there's stuff that we're going to be facing and it's going to seem like it's chaos. It's going to seem like everything is crumbling. But it's like, God, you know what you're doing? I don't like this right now, but your will be done. I trust you that you get me through this. You are good. Let us remain in him. And we're going to bear a lot of fruit. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. I told you it was in there twice in this chapter. Whatever you ask. Crazy promise. But he says it at least six times. There's got to be something in that. So he's going to lead us in some communion. Are we going to sing first? Um... Just as the band come up, how good did the band sound? Like seriously, we're so blessed in our church. And um, yeah, thank you guys. As you come on up, I just want to encourage all of you to just take a stand right now um, at whatever resonates with you. So if for you, um, just this whole area of you are already loved, you are already clean, you are already chosen. The fact that you are fathered, that you can trust him. If that for you, you're like, man, it's resonating with me right now, but I want it to be my lived reality starting now. Stand up. I am already loved, I'm already chosen. I am already clean. I am fathered by the ultimate father. Feel free to stand as I pray. But Lord, I ask that you would do a mighty work in us. Thank you for those that have stood. Thank you for the reality of your love in us. Thank you that you are enough, that you have chosen us. You declare us clean. You declare us loved, holy and dearly loved. That's our reality. I pray that would land in us today and tomorrow day, our new reality would be confident, like a toddler in our healthy family, confident of the love of our parent, our ultimate parent, Father God, I love you.
also want to encourage you to stand right now if you just want to get better at loving people. And you're like, man, I want to love others as Christ loved me unconditionally. As a declaration of like, I want to love others more. I'm standing. I stood for the last one. I'm standing for this one. I encourage you. If you want to follow this command because everything in here is about loving others. He says, remain in me. We find out in verse 10, if you keep my commands, you remain in my love. So there's an if. So we've got to keep his commands, okay? And then what is his command? Love one another. Love one another. Every other time he says, obey my command. What's his command? To love one another. That's what we are to do. As he has loved us, so we love others. How generous is our God that his greatest desire is that we love others. Sure, we love him, but that's not his focus. Very rare in the New Testament to find him saying, love me. It's like, love others, love others, love others. That's what John the Apostle said. Guys got so frustrated with him. Um, You know, he's well into his 90s. He would get carried into the assembly with the saints. And they're like, John, you got all those years of experience hanging out with Jesus and you're on the Isle of Patmos and the Revelation thing, like, give us some good stuff. And he's like, all right, little children, love one another. You said that last week. Give us something fresh. Little children, love one another. That was his repeated mantra. Little children, love one another. We are called to be a company of people who love one another, that prefer one another. We actually want to see someone else win more than we win. We want to see someone else have it good. We celebrate when someone is actually growing in their faith, when someone is having a victory in their life. Like that for us is better than we experience that ourselves because we prefer one another. We love one another. Lord, thank you for your love for us and that it's intended to be shared. It's for us. We celebrate it as though we are the center of the universe, but then we go out and prefer others. May we do both. Receive your love and share it liberally. Would you have your way in us? Hallelujah. Let's continue to worship the Lord.